everybody, this is Kim Bean, and you are listening to All Things Wolf and Wild. I met Kevin Bixby a few years ago at a Predator conference in Washington, D.C. I instantly liked Kevin. He has a Doc Holliday look and a cool quality about him, very suited for the Wild West of southern New Mexico where he lives. He's a quiet, kind, and intelligent guy. The kind of guy that you instantly want to be around and to converse about how to solve the problems of the Wild West. Kevin received his Bachelor of Science degree from Dartmouth College and a Master's of Science in Natural Resource Policy at the University of Michigan. Kevin founded the Southwest Environmental Center in New Mexico in the early 90s and has been fighting for wildlife and wild lands for decades. Kevin realized that as long as people who viewed animals as soulless resources were making all the decisions on how wildlife should be managed, we as wildlife advocates would be fighting an endless battle. So he and his team at Southwest Environmental Center launched Wildlife for All. It's a national campaign to reform state wildlife management to be more ecologically driven, democratic, and compassionate. The launch of the Wildlife for All campaign could not have come at a more needed time than now. He, along with multiple other organizations, are putting their time thoughts, and actions together to push forward change for the sake of our wildlife and our wild lands, change that needs to start at the core of how we perceive our wildlife. It is a rewilding campaign, and I, for one, am all about it. I have to say I was pretty happy when Kevin agreed to sit down on a Wednesday evening and talk about what conservation should be and what the Wildlife for All campaign is all about. So let's have a listen. Kevin, thank you so much for accepting my invitation to chat. It has been a long time, so I'm really happy it to be talking has. to you. Yeah, we we what we yeah. first met in D.C. at the Humane Society it was a predator event a few years back. So yeah, it's been a little while, and you've been a busy guy. Well, yeah, yeah, lots been going on. So yeah. Well, we got we got a lot. I mean, you before we get into the good goop, I mean, and all it's it's all good good stuff, but. Let's. I really want to get to know a little bit about you. I mean, we met and we've talked and we had a great weekend up there, um, meeting so many cool people in D.C. But what I want to know is to to give people a little piece of who Kevin Bixby is. So, tell me a little bit about you, where you hail from, how you grew up, how you became you. Okay. <laughs> well, the short version is. Um... I, uh, my dad was in the Navy, uh, career, uh, naval officer. So that meant that we moved everywhere. We moved frequently and moved to a lot of, lived in a lot of great places, always near water, uh, but mostly Northern California. Hmm. Uh, went to high school in Oakland, uh, after, and then went off to college back East. And then when I graduated with a, uh, bachelor's degree in, in uh, biology, I moved back to the Bay Area and lived there for another seven years. Um, drove a taxi for three years in San Francisco. <laughs> That's the greatest <laughs> place to drive a taxi, though. I've met some crazy, crazy taxi drivers in, in San Francisco. Oh, let me tell you. <laughs> for the first year, I would have done it for free. It was so much fun. I bet. <laughs> it, was, I bet. it was such an adventure. Um, and I uh, started volunteering at Friends of the Earth. And David Brower was there, and, mm. and David Phillips, and some other folks, and and then I went off to grad school because I 
you know, felt the need to do something besides drive a cab. Um, got a master's in natural resources policy at the University of Michigan. Uh, met my now wife. We moved out to New Mexico because she had an idea of what she wanted to do with her career. And that was, she was, <laughs> she was further along than I was in that regard. So uh, we moved to Las Cruces, New Mexico, Southern New Mexico. And that's where I'm speaking to you today from. Nice. It's where we, we've lived here for 33 years, something like that. We've I know. Yeah, you can see, <laughs> if you could see me, you could see how old I am. <laughs> you still got the Doc Holiday look. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So this has been home for a long time, and and I started a group called the Southwest Environmental Center. Um, and at first, we focused on you know the issue of the day, whatever that was, whatever walked in the door. Uh, we had a physical, I mean, a public center downtown Las Cruces. It was great. And, and you know, we we tackled public lands issues, oil and gas drilling, Mexican wolf recovery, Rio Grande restoration, uh, you know, uranium oh, wow. mining. And, every, I mean, we were all over the board. But then over the years, my, my interest has always been wildlife. So uh, over time, the organization began to focus more on wildlife issues. And, you know, that journey led to um, really focusing on some fundamental problems with state wildlife management in every state. It's the same in every state to a a more or less degree. Um, We have a very outdated system of state wildlife management in the United States. It's very much focused on... um, you know, producing a, a harvestable surplus of game animals like deer and elk mm-hmm. uh, under under an agricultural model. So, the, you know, so these game animals are seen as crops right. and where, you know, consumptive uses, uh, hunting, angling, trapping are prioritized over other ways of thinking about and valuing and appreciating wildlife. Um, and that's a system that's still in place. I mean, it's all put into place over 100 years ago in, in the various states. And, uh, you know, it had its purpose back in the day, but it's really outlived that purpose. It's, it's totally inadequate for addressing uh, the, the extinction crisis that's mm-hmm. going on today, climate change. And also, it's it's out of alignment with norms of good democratic governance. It's it's very undemocratic, um, and it's very out of sync with public attitudes towards wildlife. Even in places like Montana and and Wyoming and Idaho, it's out of sync with those values up there. So Not you, as much as why in other you, states, but yeah. Well, that's yeah. It, it is. But still, it, you're right. But why do you think it's why do you think it's so much out of, different or out of sync from say, like you said, that hundred year ago or further back, if we really want to think about it? But why do you think that the change is what it is? You know, why is it different a hundred years ago than it is today? I mean, in my mind, I can give you an obvious answer, but I want to hear what you think the changes have been and why it's becoming more than outdated and and what needs to change with that? Well, I'll just give you one metric. Um, in the early 1900s, when most game departments were created and game laws passed at the state level, 
I don't believe the word ecology existed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, we now know uh, that all species are important uh, for their role in ecosystems, which in turn provide uh, the life support services, clean air, clean water, right. pollination, crops, etc., that humans, in fact, all life depends upon. So we know that what each species contributes to that that uh, that role, that function, um, and each species, you know, more and more of us believe that each species has, and each individual animal has an intrinsic right to exist, apart from its utilitarian value to humans. But the system of state wildlife management that is in place in every state is based on different values and different uh, and a different way of understanding the importance of of wildlife really not an ecological focus again it's an agricultural focus on producing a surplus of of crop of uh, game animals as crops and um, it's also based on a value set a worldview that views wild animals as being less than humans mm-hmm. of less importance and ergo uh, humans can do whatever they want with them right. and there's and in, in state wildlife management there is very little consideration given to the interest of individual animals and their social groups so if something does not uh, cause a decline in populations or species it's not considered a problem and that's why you have things like wildlife killing contests mm. that are mm-hmm. allowed under the current system because you'll hear, well, you know, they don't harm coyote populations or wolf populations or whatever. And that's usually true. They usually have a localized impact, if any, but they're not, you know, driving. I mean, as with coyotes, coyotes are so resilient that they barely make a dent in the numbers. And yet they're horrible. They're, they're unethical. They, they're, they're just they're cruel. They're barbaric. They're brutal. And, and uh, yeah. And so that's the system of state wildlife management we have. And so uh, a few years back, I think that conference where I met you back Mm -hmm. in 2015 or 2016 was a turning point for me because there were some great speakers there. Adrian Treves spoke Mm -hmm. and John Busetich and, and uh, uh, Jeremy Bruscotter. And I've gotten to know most of those people now. I didn't. I hadn't. I didn't know any of them back at the conference. Yeah, I didn't. But they really great, phenomenal. Yeah, yeah, right, right. Yeah, I grew up a lot um, that so, day or that weekend for sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, I think you and I and, and lots of people in the wildlife advocacy world had, that have spent their careers dealing with one issue after another, one species after another, are coming to realize that all these issues, these controversies, you know, trapping, mm-hmm. killing contests, uh, carnivore hunting, they're, they're all symptoms of an underlying problem that needs to be addressed before those symptoms are going to go away. Otherwise, we just keep fighting brush fires endlessly. Yes. Yeah. 
what what is that what is that then what do we need to fight what do we need to change what do we i mean again i i can i can say things but i i'm it it's such it is such a deep 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 embedded issue yeah you know this this are our public resource issues and and like you said i mean it truly is a raping and pillaging for from in my mind it's it's a commercialization right i mean it's all about money it's not about sustenance it's not about survival anymore like it may have been 100 or 200 years ago where you you it was a survival aspect whereas today it's about commercial it's about money and for a certain few yeah, I'd say it's about money. It's also about uh, identities, you know, cultural Still. values, and and, the, and yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think you know people killing wolves now do it as much because they hate wolves as they do it to you know poke liberals in the eye. You know, it's it's yeah. a it's part of a culture war now, yeah. uh, unfortunately, because yeah. wolves don't deserve that, but that's what it's become. Yeah. So there's. There's three basic kinds of reforms that need to happen. Okay. Um, and this is the mission of our Wildlife for All campaign, is to reform state wildlife management to be more ecologically focused, democratic, and compassionate. Ecologically focused, I've already touched on that a bit. You know, um, the, the, par- the existing paradigm was developed at a time when not all – wild animals, wild species were valued. Um, you know, game species were the priority. And, you know, they had been, uh, ga- you know, populations of game animals have been pretty well decimated by the end of the 1800s. Mm-hmm. Um, and so folks that like to hunt those animals, like Teddy Roosevelt and Gifford Pinchot and, and, and others, they uh, organized, and, and others too, there were other, like the Audubon Societies, uh, were interested in saving the wildlife that was left. But, uh, you know, this, the so-called sportsmen got together and created, you know, groups like the Boone and Crockett Club and mm-hmm. and lobbied for the passage of game laws to, to stop the unregulated um, killing of game animals primarily. Now, and as you will hear often, the narrative that justifies the status quo mm-hmm. is all about the success of the North American model in bringing back those game animals from, you know, you know, the brink of extinction, which yeah. uh, is true to true to an extent. But yeah. what happened with carnivores? Carnivores were vilified, and that sort of yep. animosity towards carnivores is, lingers today. Among state wildlife managers, and you can you can see it, and it's just writ large in places like Idaho and Montana and Wyoming, where they're doing their best to get rid of all the wolves again. Mm-hmm. Um, and then between the game animals, which are prized, carnivores, which are vilified, most of the species in between, uh, the the position is one of indifference. You know, it's just like they don't matter. Who cares? They're just they're called non-game and there's very little resources are put towards understanding what's happening to them and conserving them, protecting them. That's so we need to change that focus to be more ecologically focused 
recognizing that all species are important uh, and, and not just for for consumptive uses, but for, you know, as ecological, as having ecological value, as having intrinsic value. So that's one type of reform. And the way we bring those reforms about is we change the state laws that um, sort of, you know, provide the marching orders for state wildlife commissions and wildlife agencies. Right now, if you look at state statutes, those mission statements, the mandates for those agencies is all full of, you know, utilitarian language about providing for hunting and fishing opportunities, et cetera, mm -hmm. and very little about the need to protect ecosystems and all species. And in fact, in some states like New Mexico, where I live, um, <clears throat> the legislature over the years has only delegated management authority to our Department of Game and Fish over a subset of vertebrate species, not even all vertebrates, just some vertebrates. The Game Department, Game and Fish Department has the authority to manage and, and regulate the take of. But for almost half of our vertebrate species, it lacks that authority. So there are those animals, those species are unprotected under both state and federal law. Why is that? It's, Why is that? Because nobody has gone back and said, we need to change this. I mean, we have been trying in New Mexico and haven't succeeded yet because there's a lot of inertia. You know, there's a lot of, a lot of, uh, you know, just belief on the part of, you know, legislators and the general public that wildlife belongs to hunters. It belongs right. to anglers and yeah. trappers. It doesn't belong to everybody. And that's something that we're really trying to change. So yeah. we're, we're trying to get these state laws revised to be aligned with the public trust doctrine, which holds that wildlife, all wildlife, all species, is a public trust that the government has a duty to protect for the benefit of all, all right. people and, and I would say all, all organisms not just today, but in perpetuity. And no single user group, not hunters, not anglers, not bird watchers, no one's going to be privileged under that framework. So that's what we're, we're trying to, you know, pivot the institution of state wildlife management to focus on being more ecologically focused. And also to be, yeah, I'll just... You guys, I, no, I go ahead. No, 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 okay, go ahead. I'll keep going. Right, okay. Keep going. Sorry, I, I, I could talk for a long me, time. Me <laughs> too. So it's good. Go, go. It's good to listen. Okay, so, yeah. and and then we we want to make state wildlife management more democratic because it is so undemocratic right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> Most people are excluded intentionally mm -hmm. from having a say in wildlife decisions. In, in 47 states, there is a uh, appointed commission of mostly volunteers and usually appointed by the governor of uh, folks that then uh, set policy for the state, wildlife policy. They oversee the state wildlife agency. And these are folks that may or may not know anything about wildlife in some states there's absolutely no requirements that they they even know what a you know 
a, a bear from a, uh, you know, a bug. It just, right. they can, and in most states, those appointments by the governors are made um, for mainly patronage reasons, to reward their donors. And um, it's a horrible system. And most of the seats, there's over 400 seats total on those commissions. You know, you add up all the states. More than 75% of them are occupied by what we call consumptive users, hunters, anglers, and trappers, even though most states, some do, but most states don't require that, uh, you know, people that are appointed be hunters, anglers, and trappers. But that's the sort of the, sort of the, just assumption that that's who deserves those seats. Part of that is tied to the funding for state wildlife agencies, which is in many states, it's historically and continues to be very much dependent on the sale of hunting and fishing licenses. Correct. Uh, and then also these federal grants, which are derived from excise taxes on guns and ammunition and, the you know, Robinson Act. Edmund Robertson Act yep. and Dingle Johnson. Yep. And you'll, you'll often hear that hunters are responsible for those funds, but they're not. Most no. guns are are bought not for hunting. It's what, 20, 20%, 20% of Pittman Robinson, I believe, um, is actually hunters. And I could get this wrong. I think it was Pittman Robinson. And then, you know, the rest of us that own guns um, and, and buy ammo are, are not consumptive we don't kill things right right it's 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 something it's like 25 percent that's something in there and and by the way that information is available on our website wildlifeforall.us we, we, we put a lot of information up there on this subject um and it's the same with the fishery side of that what they call the dingle johnson funds mm-hmm. federal funds that are granted to the states um you know a lot of those funds come from excise taxes or taxes on gasoline used in lawnmowers <laughs> wow. or snowblowers, you know, or things that have nothing to do with fishing. Yep. Yep. It, it, it's, I think it's interesting. And, and if you notice, I mean, when you go back and we look at commissioners, I can tell you state of Montana, um, there's only one commissioner out of seven that has a biology degree. The others are trophy hunters, TV personality, mm-hmm. trophy hunters, um, trappers, outfitters, and ranchers. Not one of them yeah. is a non-consumptive user, just to put that out there. And then if you look forward to see what's happening in legislations right now, they are uh, really pushing for some changes for the money uh, for Pittman-Robinson. So they're really, really, really trying to to get their hands around that as much as they can right now because they know that this is being looked at. Right. As something that is that we should be as the non-consumptive. And when I say we, I mean, as a democratic process, it should be everybody. So I don't want to say non-consumptive, but if you look at it in that there should be more uh, of a non-consumptive person at the table if it comes down to finance. You know, there should be more people right. sitting there saying we should have bird watchers, we should have hikers, we should have people that know what it is to be on the landscape if we're going to look at it that way. So I think there's a concern because hunting is dropping and they're yeah. freaking out about it. So I just, yeah. you know, to put the, the money aspect in there, that's that's just what I'm seeing and really, you know, 
the 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 Pittman Robinson Act is is it, it's amazing how hunters will always say if it wasn't for us there wouldn't be any yeah. any conservation <laughs> you know yeah. and uh, yeah. that's there there is definitely a sense of entitlement uh, that is only partly based on an accurate historical understanding of the financial contributions of hunters or the or the current contributions um and and you know going back to your point about everybody having a seat at the table you know less than 20 percent of americans over the age of 16 16 and over hunt or fish and and yet so less than 20 percent that's most of us nothing. do not hunt or fish. Right. And, and hunt, if you just look at hunting alone, it's it's like 5%. It's under 5%. Yeah. And yet, uh, hunters, anglers, and trappers uh, comprise three quarters of the commissioners on state wildlife commissions. Oh, yeah. You know, they just have such an outsized say in wildlife decision-making. And if you look at the demographics, <clears throat> Uh, most hunters and anglers, and this is probably true for trappers, are skew older yes. and whiter and more male than the general population. Yes. This is this is the province. Wildlife decision making is in the hands of a tiny minority of old white men. Gosh, that sounds and, so strange and familiar. <laughs> <laughs> yes yes there yeah. are there are a lot of connections oh yeah between the way uh wildlife is uh quote unquote managed mm -hmm. and the way uh the history of quote unquote managing women and native americans and blacks yeah. you know has has gone in this country it, it's it's again you know it's this colonial mentality this this idea it's actually white supremacy this idea that you know we are better than everyone else and mm -hmm. and everything else and we have a right to control and dominate and exploit even if it means you know violently uh to to maintain our privilege you know, with that concept, I'm curious what your thoughts are, because I, I look at it that way and, and, and people are like, knock it off that, you know, and I'm like, no, seriously, you've got to look. I mean, I'm a white person, you know, but but I look at this and I think, is that why we continue to see the amping up of these groups, trappers and, and outfitters and so on and so forth that are predominantly white male um, where they're they're. This is in the wolf world, obviously, which is my my biggest. That's where my world pretty much lies. Um, that anger and that hatred and that vitriol, it, it spews, and I feel it, it's amped up. I mean, we thought it would die down, you know, over time. Yeah, and it's amped up. And I question: is it is it possible that there's such a fear of losing this control that they've had forever? You know, I mean. It's, as you said, it's it, it's this colonial kind of thing. I wonder, is that the problem? Is that why this is just becoming even more of a fight, a war on our wildlife? Is it some semblance of control? Like, I, I can still hold on to this. It, it, it's so, it's the same, the fight for, you know, our, our 
black Americans, for our for our American Indians. I mean, this is huge. It's such a fight and a war and this. I don't know. Yeah. It's crazy to me. Yeah. And I see the same thing with, with wolves and coyotes and now grizzly bears are just, I mean, they, it's almost like sal- you know, they salivate over this want to kill and control. Yeah. And I think we've all seen the picture that was posted on social media of a group of male hunters mm. posing with the wolves that they had killed. And they're wearing white, white hoods over their heads. Yeah, we we know we know where they're at, and that's the sick part. Is it's like yeah. I'm so proud, KKK. I'm so, <laughs> you know, I mean, literally, <laughs> they hide. Why not just put the pointy hat on and let's call it a day? Because that's yeah. what you. That's what it should have been. You know, it's the same same mentality, and it's disturbing and disgusting, and unfortunately, it's become. Um, it's kind of been taken out of the kitchen table, so to speak, and put back onto the streets as okay. And we're watching it unfold. Yeah. And And the thing is, you know, it's so normalized, you know, to, to think that, okay, yeah, we can, we can kill these animals if we want to. We're, we're humans, you know, we're, it's okay. We, I mean, and people have, a lot of people are conflicted about eating meat, you know, and so talking about hunting gets into issues of what you eat, and that that makes it difficult for people to have a conversation. But Wildlife for All, what we're trying to do this national campaign to reform state wildlife management, it's not at all about hunting. I mean, it's sort of about hunting because we're trying to create a more democratic uh, governance structure. But it's not about getting rid of hunting, despite what folks say, the critics say. We're not anti-hunting per se. It's just we're pro-democracy. We're trying to reform the system to better address today's conservation, you know, urgencies, you know, just dire need for bold conservation action to, you know, in the face of an extinction crisis and climate change. Yeah. And there's probably always going to be a place for hunting for food, at least. I don't know about, you know, killing contests, but um, it's about, you know, we we need to have everybody at the table to have a say. And in order to also, you know, just because that's the right thing to do in a democratic society. Right. But also because that's how you get public support for conservation when people are invested in and have a say. So. You know, you—that's a good segue into something. You wrote um, an article, and it's phenomenal. And I ask anybody to go out and actually read this. It's called "Why Hunting Isn't Conservation." And there was something in there, and I loved what you wrote. And I want you to kind of really, really talk about this um, and why you wrote what you did. But and this is a quote. It says, "An occasional hunter who has spent my entire career in wildlife conservation, I disagree." as far as hunting goes. Hunting can be many things. Family tradition, outdoor recreation, a uh, a source of healthy meat, but the claim that hunting is the same as conservation just doesn't, uh, isn't supported by facts. So that's interesting to me because I, I believe that to be true is that there's a, conservation is not, hunting can't be conservation i really believe that we we believe we're better than 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 nature 
at at handling you know um, wildlife issues. Tell me, tell me what your take on that and what you what you mean literally. What you think conservation is and how we achieve that outside mm. of hunting? Because I think there's preservation, and I think there's conservation, and I I wonder what that means. Hmm. Well, I think concert, the, the goal, I mean, there's a lot of different definitions of conservation. Right. Yeah. Um, and in fact, we are going to, um, a few of us are going to propose to the Society for Conservation Biology, which doesn't have a definition of conservation, that they actually adopt one. Good. Because <laughs> we, need, we need an alternative to this notion that, you know, hunters decide what conservation is. And, and their allies in, in state wildlife agencies. Um, I think it's, you know, uh, you know, it's just a set of actions, policies that are focused on preserving um, all species, native species, as part of native ecosystems in numbers that are uh, sufficient to, well, that allows wild animals to thrive right. over as much as, as over as much as the landscape as possible in coexistence with humans, and um, where you know, in, in, in large enough numbers where they can f- fulfill their ecological roles. So they're you know, they, we say uh, ecologically effective numbers. But also where these larger processes can play out, like like you know, predation and and um, and also evolution over time. Right, right. So large numbers, not minimum numbers, not the idea that if we save a minimum viable exactly. number of, of wolves, like yes. they're you know, like they're doing, trying to, they're saying they're doing, but they're not really doing in Idaho and Montana and Wyoming. Well, you can't have a floor. Uh, we should never have a floor. We should never have a number yeah. that we can get down to. That that wolves are the only species that we do that to, with, and and that is is disturbing that we're doing that to an animal that these states had said they were going to manage like they would any other animal. You know they lied, but you should never have a floor on an animal on any animal that has to do with balanced ecosystems and healthy ecosystems. You're, you're playing God when you do this. Yeah. Stuff. And again, I go back to, it's all about money. Um, and like you said, you know, entitlements and so on and so forth. So how do we change that? How do we change that, that narrative of these animals? Because it does go back to, you know, I, I did a, a um, um, uh, worked with a, uh, uh, Josh Partlow for a WAPO uh, Washington Post article, and in it, Josh did a great job by looking into. Oh yeah, one of I saw the, that by the way. Yeah. Great article. It was great. Great, he did great such, quotes. Yeah, it was a weird, weird, perfect weekend to be doing that article with with Josh that week. But he got in touch with some really. He did a great job. Um, but he he got in touch with some of the. Um, people around Yellowstone. And there's one guy in particular that we have major problems with because he wants to kill everything that comes out of the park. And he hates wolves. And he, he, he's born and bred that way. And he's an older white guy. 
Um, and his idea is that I should be able to kill all the wolves I want. And it comes from that notion from 1926 when daddy killed everything because he was an outfitter and granddaddy killed everything because he was an outfitter. And, you know, that whole, that whole mentality. And if we don't change that mentality from their kids, right? I mean, this is a problem because it is systemic in that aspect, right? It's, it's so, uh, how do we change the narrative as we go forward? Because this has to change now. We can't wait till you know, these 10-year-olds that we're teaching to grow up and change. We have to start this change now. How do we change that narrative in these states where, and this is a whole lot, so I apologize, but where we have legislation or legislators who are creating laws to benefit them and their ilk. And I say that specifically you know, looking at Montana, Idaho, Wyoming, where these legislators are all basing it off of outfitters, trappers, ranching, you know, whatever they need to do to minimize their losses or, you know, whatever it may be. How do we change this narrative? How do we change that, you know, that paradigm? How, how does that, tell me what your thoughts are on that. How do we go forward with this wildlife for all? So there's a lot to unpack there. Mm -hmm. um, Told you, I uh, handed you a whole suitcase. Yeah, <laughs> right. So, um, I mean, it's partly about the money, but not just about the money, because I imagine there's quite a few people whose businesses are being negative to, negatively impacted, you know, that do wildlife viewing trips in, in Yellowstone, Um I know one guy who does, who runs a wildlife viewing company and we all know that, you know, wolves bring in a lot of money for, from people that are going to Yellowstone to see them to the local economies. Mm -hmm. So uh, the fact that, you know, what is it? 20, 20% 20 of Yellowstone's wolves have been killed in the last few months. 20, um, between 25 and 30% are gone at this point. We know yeah. that some of those are actually been poached. So there's a lot going on. Yeah. So that's that's money that's being affected. So that you know, you think that that money would speak as loudly as the opposite side's money in the legislature. Um, but I also think that um, I mean, we just have to take back our democracy. Is what it is. I mean, even there's still a lot of people in Montana and Wyoming and Idaho. You know, maybe not majorities, but a lot of people care about wolves. Yeah. Um, you know, there's this big study about wild values and views of wildlife called America's Wildlife Values. Really interesting study. It was done a few years back. Mm -hmm. um, and they looked state by state at um, the way people viewed wildlife. And they divided people into a uh, mutualist sort of worldview, which thought of animals as being part of a community and and really prized coexistence and, and non-lethal ways of dealing with problems. And then there's the traditionalists, which believe it was okay to kill animals and, and use them because they're resources for human use. And, um, you know, the, the number of people holding the coexistence worldview in... Um, in Montana, say, even though it was not a majority of the general population, it was way higher than uh, the percentage of 
agency employees who held that, those views. Hmm. So everything, this whole system is skewed mm-hmm. in, um, in terms of values, whose values are being represented, both at the agencies, at the commissions, and in the legislature. And mm-hmm. it's just a question of, you know, doing, I mean, Montana hasn't always been a red state. So, right. you know, <clears throat> there's, there's, and you still have Senator Tester, um, who is nominally a Democrat. <laughs> well, he's also oh, part of the problem we have, but that's an, yeah. you know, that's, yeah, a, that's, that's another an issue. story. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But that's a anyway, rabbit hole I mean, right there. You know, a, a lot of it is just, uh, awareness building and political organizing. And I know there are folks in Montana uh, who are talking about doing that to get, and, and we have to make wildlife issues a part of a larger social justice agenda. Right. Because, you know, it's a lot of, I'm just going to put this in stark partisan terms, you know, the red states are the worst. Yeah. The, the, and, 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 but in part, that's because uh, even in states where you have, you know, swing states like Wisconsin where you, or uh, Michigan, where you have a, a Democratic governor, uh, a red legis- a Republican legislature, the governor ought to know better. And she ought to be point- appointing, and I say she because it's Michigan, but right. we have many examples of states where you have Democratic governors who are not appointing good people to the commissions, even though uh, it wouldn't hurt them politically necessarily. And, you know, we have to make, we have to make, policymakers understand what the issue here it's not about how many wolves it's about who who has the power to make those decisions and you know and and that's even a problem in the wildlife advocacy community Mm that a lot of people just don't understand that this is all about power and it's 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 not about if we can just get enough signatures to the legislature or to the commission they'll change their mind no (laughs) <laughs> they're never going to change their minds. We have to get them out and replace them. Exactly. <clears throat> so that so there's looking at your yeah. state. Sorry about that. Um, but looking at say New Mexico, I mean, there was a time not too long ago, and and I'm curious about how it is today, and and to talk about it. You know, you have a wolf issue down there as well. And when I say, you know. I was told by one of the uh, uh, my mentors that said, "You think we got a problem here in in Montana, uh, Idaho, and Wyoming? Go to New Mexico. You guys had a hell of a fight going on down there, you know, with with um, these issues. But you've had a really great run at changing things a little bit. Well, well, we have the big advantage that wolves in New, in New Mexico and Arizona are still federally protected." Mm-hmm. Um, and that's uh, that's not going to change for a while. It's going to be a while before the numbers get up to the point where you know the feds could turn over management to the states. We do have a lot of illegal killing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the ranchers like ranchers like most ranchers in most places do not like wolves, and uh, us, some of those ranchers are, you know, feel empowered to kill wolves when they can. And it's the three S's, you know, yep, shoot, shoot, shovel, shovel and shut, and up. shut up. There it is. There it is. But our wolf, yeah, but our, our legislature 
and, and this is the key. You have to do the political organizing. You have to build uh, wildlife, pro-wildlife caucuses in every state legislature. And we've made some progress doing that. We put together a coalition of organizations that's really broad and robust. Yeah. It goes from animal rights groups to our uh, to hunting groups. The largest hunting group in the state, New Mexico Wildlife Federation, is pretty progressive. And we, together, our coalition supports reforms in New Mexico that would change our state law, like I was describing, to align it with this public trust public trust thinking is a new paradigm that gets away from thinking of wild animals as resources and you know utilitarian uses mm -hmm. um, yeah and then uh we also have the same coalition is very interested in game commission reform and new mexico is an example where we have a trifecta right a democratic trifecta we we've got a democratic governor and both chambers of the legislature are democratically controlled is nice and yet and yet hmm. our governor we have a seven member game commission that oversees the game and fish department when our governor got in, in 2018 she appointed seven new commissioners every single one of them was a hunter oh my God. and then she uh because of this is i mean the thing about this work is you look around the states and they, the details vary, but they're all pretty much the same in terms of wildlife management. And in our case, wildlife commissioners or game commissioners serve at the pleasure at will of the governor. They're completely unprotected. Right. So they can be fired without cause anytime. And that's what happens. Not just this governor, but previous governors. When they get mad over some issue, and in New Mexico was stream access recently, the governor would simply get rid of them. Oh, and, you know, it, you can't expect to get good decision-making from a body that lives in fear of crossing the governor. And it wasn't on ideological issues. It was on, you know, you're pissing off my donors, you know, <laughs> you know yeah. Yeah. My, my major donors. So, you know, so, that's no way to, to make policy. So that has to change. And maybe a lot of us think that these wildlife commissions should simply be abolished. They really don't serve uh, a useful function anymore, we don't think. You know, we'd be better off with a, a, a wildlife agency that uh, whose director was maybe a cabinet secretary uh, with, you know, mostly professional staff. Um, so how is that having tell, tell me a little more about that. I'm reading a little bit more, you know, as, as you know, information comes through about that. And I'm really enamored by that. Uh, you know, a lot of the stuff that I'm reading and I'm, I'm, I really need you to kind of explain that. So abolishing completely get rid of commissioners that have, you know, this ability to sway anything they want. Um, how, how would that then tell me a little bit more, a little bit more about that. Well, I mean, a lot of state agencies in New Mexico and other states, they don't have this type of structure where you have a, a you know, professional agency protected by, you know, your civil service uh, laws. Mm -hmm. Can't be fired. I mean, it's hard to fire. Uh, and, and mostly are protected from being fired without cause. Right. You have to, okay. Um, but then you have these wildlife agencies where 
you have a, a commission of volunteers that have been appointed by the governor, often for patronage reasons, often completely unqualified, you know, in objective terms, that sits above the wildlife agency and sets policy. It's crazy. It's a crazy model. Um, you know, originally, Aldo Leopold and, and folks like that lobbied for these commissions because back then, uh, you know, the state game warden would be fired for by the governor for patronage reasons. But there's no, as before, our state civil service laws were in effect. Back then, the governor, when a new governor came into power, everybody was fired from state government. Because, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you wanted your people in. Um, but that doesn't exist in any state as far as I know anymore. So, that, you know, why? let's go with the professionals. And I would be the first to acknowledge that the professionals that we have in state wildlife agencies today are very much biased towards a traditional view of wildlife. So we call them the hook and bullet crowd, you know, yep. the animal, animals as resources, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, that I think that's changing. Um, and in three states, Minnesota, New York, and I can't remember the other one, I think it's Connecticut, there is no wildlife commission. Hmm. And they manage their wildlife quite competently. I mean, as competently as states that have commissions, as far as I can tell. So, but that's a hard lift to get rid of the commissions entirely. I think it's usually happened when, when there's some major government reorganization that happened. But uh, if we can't get rid of the commissions, at least um, get, you know, maybe uh, institute some, you know, minimal requirements. Or, or actually probably in addition to also organizing to make commission appointments a, a significant issue with the governors. Because right now it's like they're appointing anyone they want and hardly yeah. anyone says boo, you know. It's, it's, yep. And in, in many cases, in many states like New Mexico, the commissioners that are appointed, the appointments are, are uh, required to be confirmed by the Senate, but they're not. It's and no Senate different anywhere else. It's the same thing in Montana. It's supposed to be, but it's all based on on who's who's in and and who controls the 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 Senate anyway. You know, the legislator, legislature. And I think we ought to be suing mm -hmm. uh, for for violating state law if these confirmation hearings are not being held because they're they provide a way for the public to elevate the issue, to respond to appointments, to you know voice their opposition to appointments, et cetera. <clears throat> yeah, they're able to just pop in there. I think that, you know, when, when, it's, when it becomes a political statement, and, and I can, you know, I can very easily speak, speak for Montana because I know it so well, but, you know, governor comes in and um, he literally, you know, it's working in unison with, with certain people in the legislature. And the legislature is all dominated by who they want in their, you know, in their wildlife, uh, fish, wildlife and parks committees and stuff like that. It's all based on, on, um, it's a partisan situation, right? So we know what's going to happen for the most part. We have some really great legislators that are trying to do different things, but you know, it, it, it is what it is. And we have to start holding them accountable. And we have to start holding our, you know, Gianforte in Montana, whew, 
and his appointees onto the uh, commission, they're all, like you said, I mean, you, you hit it clearly who these people are uh, to the governor. And I think that it, I think there's got to be something in there. Like you said, like right now, I think in Montana, you have to, you have to have a hunting license. And I think you have to have a fishing license. Those two things you have to have and you, you have to purchase to be on there. But do you have to have a biology degree? Do you have to have, I mean, what, what else do you have that gives you a, an upper hand on how to manage wildlife? There's only, you know, they don't. They don't have to have any knowledge, as you, you know, from the beginning of our conversation. I find that troublesome in so many ways that we have people managing our wildlife that probably, you know, I, they shouldn't be there. You know, I, I don't think that should be the case. And so it'd be interesting to abolish that completely and see how we can go about it in a completely different manner and through people that have a background or um, to, to be able to manage our wildlife correctly. It's such a maddening thing knowing where we're at right now and, and where we should be. And trying to get there is, it's an uphill battle and, and we need everybody to get involved. And I think that's where your wildlife for all is really an important thing. And how do, how do people get involved? How do people... Tell me more about how people get involved with you and, and where can they go to get the information that you're putting out there and what can we do to make this work in every state that needs to be reformed? Because let's face it, the majority do. So how do people do this? Yeah, great question. So um, first of all, you can go to our website and there's a lot of information on there about wildlife, how states manage wildlife and, and how decisions are made. And uh, so we have, you know, resources, you know, explaining these federal, you know, uh, grants, Pittman Robertson, Jingle Johnson. Um, we have the public trust doctrine explained. We have a find your state. So you can go to your state and see what the requirements are for uh, appointments to the Wildlife Commission. You can go to the statute and see, read it directly. Uh, you can see where funding for your state wildlife agency comes from. Um, and uh, we have a section called Mythbusters. Yeah, I see that. Um, That's neat. Yeah. I mean, there's so many myths, mistruths that are told to justify the status quo. And people need to understand that what's wrong with those things, those statements like hunters are the true best conservationists. Uh, they pay for most of conservation, the North American model is you know, America's gift to the world, etc. These are all wrong. They're just false. And uh, so there's information people can learn about and arm themselves with. I think people really need to understand if they care about wildlife, they need to care about wildlife governance. In the United States, we have a, a system of shared jurisdiction over wild animals. The states have the default jurisdiction over all the animals within their boundaries, but the states have carved out, and the tribes have jurisdiction on their lands as well. But the, the, the feds have carved out jurisdiction over, you know, subsets of species like endangered and threatened species or migratory animals. Mm -hmm. But everything else, the states have, you know, primary jurisdiction. 
except not on federal public lands. But that's another story. Um, <laughs> There's always another story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So people need to understand if they care about wildlife, they need to engage at the state level. Yep. They need to attend wildlife commission meetings. Yes. I tell you what, you know, who's attending every single one of those meetings, the hunters, Yep. the trappers, the outfitters, you know, they, they know where the power lies and where the decisions are made. So they're there every single time. Wildlife advocates need to do that as well. Absolutely. And, and then you got to work the legislature. You got to, uh, you got to make, you know, uh, Develop your champions, mm -hmm. uh, create these wildlife caucuses, connect them. And this is something that we're trying to do with Wildlife for All, connect them to their counterparts in other states. And an excellent organization that's helping to do that is the National Caucus of Environmental Legislators. Um, uh, so they they have a, if you're, if a legislator is environmentally minded, they can become a member of this caucus, national NCEL, and that's a network of like-minded legislators. And there's a lot of resources that they can provide. So people need to work the legislature. They need to work the governor. They need to, you know, make sure the governor hears from people that, you know, these commission appointments really matter. And yeah. and you know, we're watching. And we had a recent success in the state of Washington, where there were. Um, three vacancies on a nine member commission and they were sitting vacant because a lot of times the governor will just let these seats go unoccupied uh, as it's, you know, politically expedient. I mean, maybe they don't want to change the balance of power on the commission, or, you know, because they're, they have to pull from the, this part of the state or what have you um, for whatever reason, maybe there's an election coming up and they just rather not have a, change the, the dynamic at the commission. But anyway, there there is a coalition of groups in Washington state that has been lobbying Governor Inslee for, for months to fill these seats with good people, qualified people. Mm -hmm. And our coalition, Wildlife for All, organized a sign-on letter from around the country, groups around the country, to Governor Inslee and said, yeah, <laughs> Now, listen to the Washington Coalition. This is these are important decisions you're making. We urge you to appoint qualified people, and he did. He appointed three yeah. excellent people. Yeah, it's pressure is a, is big, and people don't realize your voice does matter, but you have to use it. Right. You have to use it, and you have to arm yourself. And honestly, if you go and 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 I'm just going to tout this because you've got a great website, by the way. And so if you go to Wildlife for All. Dot us there's a there's a solutions tab at the top and you can actually hit that solutions tab and it will tell you you know what were you know what would what what you can do and it gives you so much information so you have a lot of great information on your webpage and a lot of things people can do and ways that they can connect with you guys to become a member you know support um so there's just a lot but you're right i think one of the greatest things you've said, and I think it's a really important statement and should be on a bumper sticker, <laughs> is if you really care about wildlife, you have to care about wildlife governance. I think it's, I'm stealing that from you, and I'm going to post it <laughs> everywhere. I'm not stealing, I'll, I'll even put, says Kevin Bixby. 
Because <laughs> I think it's a great, I think it's everything. If you, you can't, you know, you, you, you can't, um, God, I almost did a football analogy because, you know, that's what I do. But you, you <laughs> seriously can't care about something if you don't know, you have to know everything about it and how to care for it. Right. It's, it's, it's everything else. Um, you, you've got to know what's happening and why and figure out if it's, if it's, you know, how to change it, if it needs to be changed. Um, and I, th- I think it's important. Yeah. Thank you. Um, I'd like to like to convey something else. I think is really Please. important. It, wildlife management is not all about science or you know numbers or facts it's about power mm. and it's about values it's the 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 it, it state wildlife management is a collection of laws policies institutions values and power structures mm-hmm. that all collectively uh define our societal relationship with wild animals. And, you know, the values are key. You don't have to know how many bears, you know, should be, uh, you know, can be killed without causing a population to crash. If you don't think bears should be killed at all, you should say that. You have just as much say. That is a value that you hold. Right. And and then you will be ridiculed, unfortunately, in these in these uh, fora as being unscientific and emotional. Well, damn straight, you're being you're leading with your values, and that's exactly what they're doing. Right? Why say, are my we're, values we're not, any different than yours? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or they any just, less? They just it, it's rarely acknowledged the values that are underlie decisions that are made in wildlife management. It's rarely acknowledged, but they're there, and and that's I would say that. You know, that's what wildlife decisions are, are all about, or values. Now, they should be science informed by science for sure. But the science that is used to, you know, is often selectively uh, chosen. Um, you know, for example, one of our uh, goals is to make wildlife management more compassionate. You won't hear wildlife managers or hunters, they, they all like, run like it's uh you know a room full of uh delta COVID, you know <laughs> from the idea yeah from the i from the idea that we should think about the interest of individual animals or their families it's like oh no that's unscientific but it is scientific because there's a whole science of animal cognition you know and emotion now that's that's coming out that we know animals Individual animals have personalities, and they, they we know a lot more about how they think and feel than we used to. And so that's science. But they're ignoring that science because it's not it doesn't suit their interests. So I would encourage people who want to get engaged and involved, don't worry. They're going to they're going to uh, a lot of times you will be whatever you say, the answer will be that's that's emotional. That's um, unscientific. But. You know, they're they're just hiding their values, and we we need to bring all the values out from hiding and put them on the table, because fundamentally it's about power. 
who yeah. gets to make these decisions and whose values are are you know incorporated into those decisions and at, again it goes with the more you show up and the louder your voice becomes and the more collective that voice becomes the more we can change that and change that paradigm but yeah. we need everybody to become knowledgeable and active it can't be a frowny face or a smiley face or a sad face on Facebook, those don't work. <laughs> In case yeah. anybody wants to know, mm -mm, it doesn't work. You have to be a part. You can't just be angry. You have to change that anger to um, be diligent and move forward and be a voice and be parts of groups like Wildlife for All. And help push that narrative forward. And again, I, I'm, I, I'm really big on looking at your, um, webpage. Y your website is absolutely phenomenal and filled with incredible information that is necessary. Um, and a lot of questions get asked, I mean, you know, and you're answering them and it's a great, a great place to get people started. So I'm going to, um, I'll not only keep saying wildlifeforall.us, but I'll make sure that we put that in the notes as well so that people can um, clearly find it and get to you. And is there, is there anything you want to tell anybody? Is there anything more you want to convey? Because I think it's really important to, to get that out there. And is what can we do federally? What can we do? I mean, statewide, we understand we have to do things in individual states, but what can we do federally right now? That's my oh. big question for the world right now. What can we do yeah. federally, right? Because we're fighting well, like hell on the federal level, but it's it's really hard, especially with the way the world's going right now. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, uh, Starting with wolves, Kim. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, groups, groups like yours are leading the way, and a very important effort to get wolves relisted under the uh, Federal Endangered Species Act, and take away management from from the states that don't want wolves. Yeah. That's that's like job number one. Yeah. But long term, you know, just like. I mean, I see a lot of analogies with the civil rights movement, mm. you know, and, and, you know, slavery and then the civil rights movement. Um, you know, this sort of the default was, you know, let the states decide these issues until, um, you know, people's constitutional rights were being trampled on. Mm -hmm or just their basic human rights are being trampled on. And, and that's, and then there is the, the federal government stepped in, you know, we'd like them to do more mm -hmm. because we're seeing it happen all over again. It, this is, again, it goes back to democracy and justice. It does. Um, these, these wildlife decisions are unfortunately being made in, in many cases like Montana by, by people who don't value democracy or justice. And, um, you know, it's it's manifested in this these you know just the brutality of these uh, hunting regulations. Yeah. But you know, most most countries in the world 
have a national biodiversity strategy. They've signed on to the uh, Convention on Biological Diversity, the big international treaty. The United States is one of two countries that hasn't signed it yet. So we don't have a national biodiversity strategy. That's, that's a requirement of that treaty, is to have a national strategy for pre- protecting your biodiversity. There are two countries in the world that have not signed, wow. the United States and the Vatican. Oh, my God, you're kidding. Nope. I did not know that. Yep. And, you know, the Vatican, not too many wolves. No, no, I'm thinking not probably a... not. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm not real concerned about them, anyway. right? <laughs> yeah. That's scary. So, uh, I mean, on the one hand, we can push for reforms at the state level. And then where that doesn't work, we go to the feds. And, you know... <clears throat> That's at the moment not a really promising route, but um, we just have to keep trying and <clears throat> and hope and expect that all our efforts, which seem in vain at the moment, will suddenly there will be some seismic shift in society that will clear the path for real change, good change. Um, you know, we saw that with like gay marriage. Yeah. Right. So suddenly it was like overnight. It's like, okay, yeah. What was the problem? <laughs> yeah. Now, now, thanks to everybody, um, those of us um, that are gay now have to pay to get rid of each other. See, <laughs> see, it's called That's progress. The, the, <laughs> <laughs> it was a joke. Just kidding. But yeah, no, it is progress. And some people would say that, well, that was the whole point. But I think that... <laughs> That's <laughs> uh, so sad. You know, it's you know you're getting sleepy, right? But I think we do. We we can make cro- progress. But if we and I have this um, every day with folks when they're saying, you know, we're not getting anywhere, so why are we even bothering? And I'm like, because when you become silent, so so does everything. We we don't get anywhere. Silence is not going to get us anywhere. And we have to find a collective voice and we have to keep pushing forward and we have to continue to, to bug the Deb Hallens and the president Biden's. And we still have to go after, um, our new, you know, Martha Williams at FWS and say, you know, what's going on in these States. Cause Hey, let's face it. You were the director at one point. So these people have to listen at some point and they are hearing what we're, we're saying. We just have to get and keep, keep going and keep going. That's what advocates do. As we keep plugging away, and sooner or later we get another slice of the pie, and we get another slice. And so we have to just be diligent. And you guys are arming people with information to become advocates, and you're arming people with information to become self-sufficient in advocating for the wildlife and doing, as you said, which is if you're going to care about wildlife, you have to care about wildlife governance. I do. I love that. That is the best sentence ever. (laughs) So thank you for that one. But I thank you so much for talking with me today. And literally, if there's ever anything that you want to say, let me know. I'll get it out there. You know, I'm loud. So we'll make (laughs) it happen. But I do. I appreciate you. I appreciate everything you're doing and have always done. And what you guys are doing right now for Wildlife for All, I think, is the exact step that we need to go forward for 
everything. I think it's all encompassing. It's way overdue. You're doing a great job. And I know that myself, Mark, Wolves of the Rockies, and everybody that um, follows us and backs us will do the same for you guys. And we will do everything we can to, uh, to make sure we put you out there. So I want to thank you Thanks, again Kim. for everything. And we'll be uh, talking real soon, I'm sure. Okay. Well, thank you for having me on the show. It's my pleasure. Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining in and listening to the conversation with Kevin and I. Please do me a favor and go to wildlifeforall.us for more information about the Wildlife for All campaign and how you, too, can get behind this campaign and uh, help propel forward a change in our wildlife management. I want to thank our sponsors, SKB Cases and GVM Lighting, and I always want to thank you guys, our supporters, for joining in. And if you have any questions or anything that you uh, would like to hear about, please don't hesitate to reach out to me at kim at org. Thanks, everybody. <laughs>